As we head into another Canadian winter, clearly life on the streets in this country is and will continue to be deadly for some. Just last week, I was reading today that a 35-year-old man died at a public washroom right outside Moncton City Hall in New Brunswick after frontline workers were unable to find a shelter bed for him. Luke Anthony Laundrie had just been released from provincial prison that same day. A report state that he had been he'd overdosed earlier at a supervised overdose site. Staff there tried to get him into a shelter, then tried to find him a hotel. None of it worked. Um, maybe just one case, but it does speak to that far greater problem that has gone on for years. And while I gather there's been progress, because I see it here even in Victoria, where I am, where there's been a real concerted effort to find shelter for people who want it certainly people who need it, but definitely people who want it, um, to try to get people off the street, to try to get them at least onto that first rung of having a roof over your head. Um, but you also get the sense that sometimes it's getting worse. Uh, the federal government, for instance, has a national housing strategy that targets reducing chronic homelessness by 50% by 2027, 2028. Um, but the Auditor General found recently uh, in a report made public earlier this month that the departments in charge of making that happen actually don't really know if the money they're spending is being spent effectively, if it's actually making a difference. Well, joining me now with more on this is Tim Richter. He's founder, president, and CEO of the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. Thanks so much for your time. Good evening. Thanks for having me. So, Tim, it's always one of those. I mean, I feel like so often we look at the picture of, of, of where this, what the state of homelessness is anecdotally. Like, what's in, what's, what do I see on mm-hmm. the street? And I guess that's not, the, not necessarily the most scientific way of looking at it. What is the situation heading into winter 2022? Well, unfortunately, we're we're facing a wave of new homelessness in in Canada, driven uh, in part by uh, in part by the pandemic, and now um, by the cost of living crisis. And you know, we we know that uh, people that are living in low incomes, for example, feel inflation much uh, much worse than we do than most most folks do, most middle income uh, folks do, because. You know, the vast majority of their household income, household budget is going toward paying for food and shelter, which is which are two of the most expensive uh, things going on right now. So, you know, the real inflation rate, if you're a a household in Vancouver or in Toronto or some other cities is, you know, closer to 30 percent if you're on uh, on a a low income household. So uh, that's propelling a lot of people into uh, in the homelessness across the country. I can imagine one of the real difficulties is, for instance, if you're renting and you lose that place, trying to find something mm-hmm. new that's affordable to you. Well, that's right. You know, the whole, you know, Canada's been in the grips of a housing crisis for about 40 years now. Uh, and, you know, it's just been snowballing or compounding over the years. And so the whole housing system, whether you're, you know, uh, trying to get into your first, uh, to buy your first home or you're trying to get into the rental market, it's really, really tough uh, to find things that are affordable. I saw a stat the other day that a average apartment in Toronto now is about $3,000 a month. Yeah, it's not uh, not many people can afford that, right? Let alone right. Uh, let alone with a family or when you have other expenses. Are we seeing? Um, I mean, I, I guess homelessness has many many faces, right? Sometimes we mm-hmm. see sort of the street, the our idea of street homelessness, you know, the tents on the street and so on. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's much more complicated in terms of what it really looks like—the real portrait of homelessness across Canada. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's interesting that for the vast majority of people, homelessness tends to be fairly brief. Like it, uh, people are in and out in days or weeks. But then there are are folks, and you referred in your in your opening about chronic homelessness. There are folks that 
and the uh, on the street and and staying there for a long time you know over over six months some for years i've run into people that have been uh i've I know of people that have been homeless you know decade or more you know it's uh it's quite something and it and it's it's really deadly like it erases it can cut a person's life expectancy in half right i'm i'm 52 years old and i'm well older now than than the average life expectancy of someone experiencing chronic homelessness what do you feel like the the public attitude because often you know the, the issue of homelessness gets gets intertwined with other societal issues like the opioid crisis um, mm-hmm. tent cities and some of the anger that exists around around that uh, how do you feel the source the conversation about homelessness has evolved over the last mm-hmm. few years you know a couple of years ago two summers ago we did a poll and it, what was really interesting to me was just how many Canadians are touched by homelessness. So in the in the poll we ran um, by Nanos uh, Research, they found that 36% of Canadians either have experienced homelessness themselves or know somebody who has. About 5% of that 36 are people that have experienced it themselves. That's 1.6 million people or so, uh, give or take. And so I think it's something that is closer to a lot of people than than we might think uh i think most canadians um you know want governments in particular to do more about it the vast majority somewhere in the neighborhood 80 percent in that same poll said governments should be doing more on affordable housing and, and homelessness but uh, you know to be fair to folks too i think if you're you know walking through the downtown east side of vancouver or you have a large encampment uh, near where you are, or you're interacting with homelessness, uh, people experiencing homelessness a lot, you you might feel a little a little scared, right? Like I can appreciate that uh, that concern, but um, you know the the good news is this is a this is a problem we can solve. Yeah, I, I, and how do you? I mean, it feels like we've been. I mean, we've seen advances. I think I've seen. I think we've seen a difference in perception about the causes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly about how to try to find you know some of the solutions that work. Trying to get people off the street into temporary accommodation to allow them to at least have a roof over their heads to start building back up towards uh, more secure and permanent housing. Um, but what are some of the things that we're we're not doing well right now? Well, you know what uh, I think the. It, it, I, I think about homelessness, and I often term it a an unnatural disaster um, because it has the same scale. It affects the same number of people. It costs the economy the same amount of money as the biggest natural disasters in Canada or Canada has ever experienced. It, you know, it impacts two hundred thirty-five thousand different Canadians every year. Thirty-five thousand on a given night cost the economy over seven billion dollars. Um, but with but. There's, and there's really no difference between homelessness as a result of a natural disaster and homelessness caused by poverty and policy. And the, the big difference is how we approach solving it. Now, I'm calling in from Calgary. 2013, we had a flood here, and you, you would have heard about. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, 75,000 yes. households were, were kicked out of their homes. They lost their homes due to, due to the flooding, either lost or they were damaged, but they had to they had to leave. None of those people are still homeless. None of them. And the difference is, in a natural disaster, you know, there's an emergency. Their city has an emergency response. 
the senior levels of government uh, come in to support the city leadership. There's clear leadership at the city level. They have a plan. They have a, they have a command center to coordinate the activity. They focus on keeping people safe in the emergency, and then they are working really quickly to move people into into their own homes. And they even begin to think about prevention. You know, the floodwater hadn't receded here in Calgary, and they're already talking about upstream measures to prevent the floodwaters from damaging the, the city like it had. But when we talk about homelessness, we stop at the emergency response. We think, well, we've got to build shelters. I mean, ultimately, the end of homelessness is a home, right? And so we have to really think about housing, income, and supports people need to sustain their housing. Yeah, it always feels like there's, you know, there's kind of two different streams going on. And again, I mean, there's, as you mentioned, you know, a vast majority of people who find themselves homeless, it's temporary, and they do find their way back onto their feet. And uh, But for chronic homelessness that we talked about earlier, and which the federal mm-hmm. government's trying to cut back on, uh, you always think about the two streams, whereas there's a, a lot of political pressure to get people off the streets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not always the way, I mean, and it's important, clearly, to get people off the streets at all times. But if you look at, at just like food banks, if you look at shelters as being a solution, then you have a problem. That's right. Yes, exactly. And uh, my one of my concerns is as we see um, more encampments, uh, more people becoming homeless, shelters becoming more full, that we we will the governments will reflexively go back to an emergency response. Like let's just build more shelters. Let's you know use the police to sweep people out of encampments. And those things um, those things can provide temporary, but it's elusive and illusionary. Uh, kind of benefit because it doesn't actually solve the problem and and in fact in many ways makes it a whole lot worse a whole lot more expensive pretty cruel and way more dangerous Richter is with us this half hour founder president and ceo of the canadian alliance to end homelessness we're talking about homelessness clearly uh all week we'll be talking about some of the issues that cities in canada continue to face homelessness of course a long term one but two hundred thirty-five thousand people a year, you were saying, 35,000 people mm-hmm. a night in this country, $7 billion it costs our economy, which seems like, a, as you mentioned, it is a unnatural disaster, something that happens at all times. When you look at some of the things that have worked of late, what would you point mm-hmm. to? Well, it's, uh, you know, we, we can look around the world and see examples. You know, you look at places like Finland, um, who has done a ex- rather extraordinary job of reducing homelessness nationwide. Um, they focused on something called Housing First, which is, I, I often joke, it's truth in advertising. We're going to move people directly off the streets and into housing without a bunch of preconditions and provide them the wraparound supports to stay there. But closer to home, you know, we've seen success in Medicine Hat, Alberta, that ended chronic homelessness. London, Ontario ended veteran homelessness. Ottawa you know, has reduced chronic homelessness 15%. Sault Ste. Marie has reduced chronic homelessness. Other examples like that right here at home. And, and you know, they have uh, a lot of things in common. You know, they're focused on ending homelessness, not managing the emergency. So the, the first step is to say, as you said earlier, you know, we're not going to solve it with an emergency shelter. We're going to solve it with housing. So let's move, you know, move people in, into housing. You know, they set up coordinated uh, coordinated systems uh, at uh, in their communities that are focused on 
on ending homelessness. They use data to see where they can make improvements. They understand, they know exactly who's who's experiencing homelessness in their community by name. They know everyone. Uh, and they use that data to be constantly, you know, driving improvement. And I said, the model to solve it is just like the model that cities would use if, God forbid, a natural disaster hits. When you look at some of the residual impacts, the domino effect of having people on the street, you would think, too, that a strained healthcare system would also suffer. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, I'm in Victoria, which has its own set of issues. But, you know, the... Um, mm-hmm. You know, people on the street, certainly the addiction crisis here is added to that. But the combination of addiction and homelessness has, has mm-hmm. obviously leads to outcomes that, that impact an already strained healthcare system, too. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, you, you know, you, the, the thing that is a bit crazy about homelessness and just leaving it to, to continue to get worse or to focus on the emergency is that you, from a, from a public system or public policy point of view, you have people bouncing around aimlessly through very expensive systems, whether it's court, uh, policing, healthcare, uh, justice, aimlessly moving around those systems, none of which are taking accountability for their housing outcome. You look at the story that you led with, the mm-hmm. gentleman in, in New Brunswick was sent directly from provincial jail, directly from jail onto the streets without winter clothes, without a place to go, any sort of that accountability. But then you look at a place like Madison Hat, where you know they've ended chronic homelessness. If you're released from prison in Medicine Hat and there's a remand center nearby, um, there's a phone call made from the remand center to the housing people if they know somebody that's being released has not got a place to go. And they can work out how to make sure that person gets into uh, gets into safe housing. And you know, in the, the federal government and provincial governments all wondering how to reduce recidivism in their jails. Well, the big common denominator is housing. Housing yeah. and then supports for addiction and mental health issues. And it feels like if we tackle the chronic homelessness part, we'll be far better prepared to tackle the sorts of, um, the kind of homelessness we may be seeing more of now, given the high price of, high cost of housing and the high cost of everything else. Yeah, well, most people, um, the vast majority of people who are in housing need in Canada, about three quarters of them, uh, and the vast majority of people who experience homelessness are only homeless because of uh, a lack of a loss of income or an inability to afford, find affordable housing, right? So with just income support, if every province indexed their disability payments and their welfare payments to inflation, you would cut homelessness significantly because it's just a factor of being poor, right? Well, indeed. And, 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 but, but as you pointed out earlier, the issue is that if you let people slip through the cracks, say you have a, you know, a belief that this is, you know, you, you should be responsible for your own well-being and so on. But I feel mm-hmm. like if you let people slip through the cracks, it ends up costing society even more. Yeah, well, and, and that's exactly it. And, you know, I think, you know, when we are thinking about our approach to homelessness, I think we're, we also are having a very important philosophical discussion about is, is our country, is our province, is our city going to be just about me? And what, what's, what's in this for me? Or are we going to be thinking about the, the collective good? And in this case, you know, solving homelessness, I think, is an expression of community in common you know, trying to support the common good and support our, our neighbors and support our families. But frankly, as a, you know, as a taxpayer, it's also good for me 
as an individual because it will, you know, uh, less of my tax dollars are going to go to broken and inefficient public systems that are just letting people balance aimlessly through until they, uh, until they unfortunately pass away too early. Are you concerned at all about a bit of the change in the tone, though? I think there is, and you mentioned it earlier, there is a frustration that's built, you know, because there mm-hmm. are clearly a very small segment of the homeless population, you know, of the, of, the, of the vulnerable population, to be honest. And it's a mm-hmm. myriad of things. It's addiction, it's mental health, it's homelessness, and mm-hmm. so on, who have, who have caused a fair amount of havoc in, in, in certain small areas, in certain cities at certain times. And you feel, the, the, you feel a bit of the anger rising against them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that that anger is is misdirected, right? Like, I, I think it's the, the anger should frankly be directed at elected leaders, and frustration should be directed at elected leaders. And I actually, I think uh, watching what's happening in British Columbia, it's quite interesting to see the new premier Evie taking uh, taking charge and saying, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna solve this. I'm gonna take responsibility for for solving. You know, for coordinating the response in the downtown east side is pretty rare for governments to, yeah. to take that kind of a accountability. Um, and, and I think that's that's the first step. And, you know, we can talk about all the programs and policies and all, all that stuff <laughs> till, we're, till we're blue in the face. But the places and that have, have succeeded, yes. the places that have succeeded is down to leadership. Someone has taken control of the situation and made, a prior, made it a priority to fix yeah. it. Tim Richter, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you.